0: Again, man, I just I just love this job. I mean, it's the coolest thing being able to talk to some of these really remarkable people. This week's episode is Russell Bondner. He's an orthopedic surgeon. He was really trained in sports medicine. He's been in practice for over 30 years. And now really has, has sort of transitioned into the total joint replacement. He tells this remarkable story, how he worked with Larry Doerr, who is obviously, you know, was one of the titans and legends of arthroplasty. He passed in December of this past year. The two of them worked together on this whole sagittal coronal way of identifying the acetabulum, and they were doing emails back and forth, and it's just the coolest story. He's a man after my own heart. He absolutely loves innovation. He's swimming uphill. He's really, really trying to make a difference. Uh, at the end, we, we laugh, and I'm going to tell you right now, the fro, hashtag follow the bod. It's a great episode. Please enjoy. Hashtag follow the fro.
1: From medical media, this is The Ortho Show.
0: Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of The Ortho Show podcast where we bring you the best of the best. I'm super excited. We are going to the Midwest today, which is some of my favorite people on the planet with Dr. Russell Bodner, who's an orthopedic surgeon. He's sports medicine fellowship trained, but really focuses really on total joint replacement. He's in private practice in suburban Chicago for the Northwestern Medicine uh, Group. Russell, it's a pleasure to have you on.
1: Thanks very much. Pleasure being here
0: you know it's funny you know my uh, one of my kids is uh, is a freshman at university of wisconsin in madison so we've been spending a bunch of time going back and forth and flying through chicago and you know on the streets of of uh, of boston and new york if you run into someone and you say hey how are you they think you're asking for something right but no not not chicago they hey how are you it's nice to see you how's your day going? and i mean
1: i love midwestern people yeah, it's. Uh, I'm from New Jersey originally, so living in the Midwest was a, a bit of a change, but uh, I like it a great deal. It's a lot family-oriented, community-oriented, and yeah, it's not. It's not like New York.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely not. Uh, it's so funny. So yeah, you grew up in New Jersey. You went to University of Delaware for your undergrad, and then you you went to the to the West Coast for UCLA for for med school. It wasn't the David Geffen School of Medicine back then, was it?
1: Certainly not.
0: Yeah, right. He's
1: a little bit of a newer guy. With the University of Johnny Wooden.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. The one of the, uh, the greatest of all time, for sure. But then so I guess you missed the so you go out there for medical school, but you missed the East Coast again. You came back to Philadelphia where you did your residency at University of Pennsylvania. And uh so you went did a little bit of back and forth all over the place.
1: Yeah, I was East Coast, West Coast. I, I would have liked to stay on the West Coast, but I uh, applied to some pretty difficult ortho programs, and getting a spot in ortho wasn't easy. So I landed at University of Pennsylvania, which is no consolation, uh, but it, and it was only two hours from home. Stayed there, and then as soon as I was done with my training, I went back to the West Coast where I liked it. Well, you did you, you
0: did a pretty cool fellowship. You did an AO uh, trauma fellowship in Innsbruck, Austria, didn't you? That's kind of cool. I,
1: I did. I did for for a half of the fellowship fellowship year I went to Innsbruck and the other half I went to South Lake Tahoe with Dr. Stedman so that was one of the most fun years of my life
0: yeah that's awesome so I mean you're showing your age here a little bit because I have to read your fellowship your fellowship was the knee surgery fellowship at the Tahoe fracture clinic with Dr. Stedman so this is predating the Stedman Hawkins clinic in Vail
1: that's right he he left South Lake Tahoe um, about a year after I finished so we, we practiced basically in this log cabin. Uh, he was part of a group and it, it was uh, very small. And we had two um, physiologists. Uh, instead of physical therapy, he was doing his ski therapy and ACLs. And uh, I got to ski and have a great time.
0: Yeah, you know, fellowship year can be so great. I mean, I did mine at the Curlin Job clinic in uh, in LA for a year. We yeah. were taking care of all those teams and flew out there for a year. And it was definitely one of the greatest years of my life, too, working with amazing people and, and getting as much knowledge. But I mean, so what year was that with Stedman before he went out to Vail? What year was the fellowship? In uh,
1: 89. 89. So what were you doing for ACLs in 89? Believe it or not, I was doing uh, bone tendon bones, uh, two tunnels, Initially, we uh, the second tunnel, we came in through the back. And some people still kind of have one that comes laterally, and you can shoot around the corner. We used to dig it through the back of the joint and pull it against the spot and drill from outside in, so mm-hmm, a double. Mm-hmm. And then we would just put a screw, a metal screw, down the femoral tunnel to fix it on that side. So it's not all that much different.
0: Yeah, we just put the tunnels in a little different places these days compared to those vertical tunnels
1: that we were putting in back in those days. Well, the transtibial yeah. tunnel was the vertical tunnel. When you when you tried to just reach up through the tibial tunnel and drill straight up, we did that for I did that for about three years because it was in vogue, and then I abandoned that because I said, you know, I I just don't think they're going in the right spot.
0: Yeah, no. We the one thing about ACLs, we've been doing them for a long time. We make a lot of changes. Sometimes we go back to what we were doing before, but, uh, you know, we're doing our best to try and figure it out. Now we, you know, you could potentially grow a new ACL. So there's a lot of cool new techniques that are out there, but I think probably the biggest difference in 89, you know, I started uh, started my program, what was it, uh, 91 to 95, I was in residency. So, We had just started learning that, you know, you couldn't couldn't immobilize or cast these people that you had to start getting them moving. Right. That was uh, Shelburne's data from Indianapolis, where he showed that the people that weren't compliant were moving, were doing better than the ones that they were trying to immobilize.
1: Yeah, I I have two stories for that. One, when I I went to the University of Pennsylvania and the guy there was Joe Torg. And uh, I remember as a medical student doing a rotation with him and a guy came in in a cast from somewhere he'd been in casted for like i don't know 8 weeks they cut this leg out of the cast and it looked like a toothpick absolutely hard as a rock and i said how is this person ever going to do any sports ever again i mean it was it was tremendous with Incisions up the inner side, up the outer side, each about a foot long. So th- then I knew uh, this has got to get better than that. And the second was Dr. Stedman was with Shelbourne was actually very instrumental in uh, post-op ACL rehab. That was one of his strengths.
0: Yeah, you know. So for the listeners, what we used to do back in the day, we do these ACL surgeries, and everybody just assumed the best way to get it to heal was to stick it in a cast and immobilize it. And, and you, could, you heard from what Dr. Bounder just said, I mean, the, the muscles go away, you get super stiff, and yeah, maybe their ACL, their knee wasn't un- unstable, but they couldn't move it anymore. But we learned that the people that weren't listening, that were trying to move their knee faster, were doing better. And that really helped us transition to this new thought process
1: of early range of motion after ACLs. Yeah, the, the other thing was that traditionally the tibial tunnel was put in a little too anterior. And so they couldn't get extension you know, it, it, so we learn. we learned. Yeah, yeah, no, and we're, we're still
0: learning. I mean, it's, uh, there's some amazing things. Greg D. Felice is doing ACL repair, you know, primary repair for the right patient with the right ACL tear using these newer technologies where you have anchors where you can use basically rotator cuff surgical intervention technique to be able to repair the ACL. Now you've got myoc, which is going to basically use a collagen implant that can help just restore. So it's like, it, there's a lot of crazy, really positive science that's happening around ACL uh, uh, surgery, but one thing is for sure, in your 34 years, and in, in my like 27 years, uh, it has definitely evolved. It has not stayed the same, that's for sure. No doubt. So so then you head out to California, right, for a period of time. Didn't you get a job out in like Santa Rosa, California for a while? 11 and a half years. Mm-hmm. And then you
1: decided to come back to Chicago. How was the move from California to Chicago? Tell us about that. Well, I remember being in Santa Rosa, which had a beautiful climate. And um, for a lot of reasons, I decided that I wanted to leave the community. And uh, I met my friends who were practicing here in Illinois, and I visited And then decided to leave. And I set up, I'm going to start January of 2001. So we're sitting in the surgeon's lounge, and there's a blizzard on television in the Midwest. (laughs) You're going to be moving there, right? And I said, I guess I am. Sure enough. I'm leaving that sunny California weather. The weather change is the biggest change for me. No, no doubt. I never really got used to winters, though I deal with it
0: yeah I'm sure and so so then you you know you were in Chicago for a while with with one group for almost two decades, and apparently you just made a move now to to another group unless it's been bought or renamed bought out okay, yeah there you go that happens <laughs> a lot these days,
1: yes, they bought our hospital system and within a couple of years they uh bought us too
0: so were you hospital employed at the time when when the purchase happened or private well, we practice?
1: Were- a private practice a, a very nice private practice here in sycamore illinois
0: well fantastic so uh, and are you still private practice in the
1: in the new system as well no no they have a, a giant medical group uh, which we were swallowed into
0: got it got it so so give us a taste of that and how it's i mean i don't want to get you in trouble here either because people are going to be listening but You know, you're 64 years of age at this point, you're still practicing. And is that something that you see, you know, is this change going to be helpful for that or or not?
1: Well, um, there's pros and cons. I uh, have a harder time dealing with the requirements on the computer. It's difficult for me, and it seems onerous, and it's not geared to be helpful for me first. But otherwise, um, I don't have to worry so much about overheads and employee issues and uh, how I'm going to sell the practice and how it's going to uh, carry on when we're gone. So it's a trade-off. And I like the community. I enjoy the hospital. I still enjoy taking care of patients. And uh, I love doing surgeries. I'm uh, healthy. So I, I get to work every day. Five days a week,
0: I love it. Good for you. I'll tell you the best thing that I've done, Russell, since since all this crazy, you know, computer stuff and button pressing and all that other stuff. I hired a scribe, and I did this about two years ago, and it has really. I also have a full time nurse practitioner, Kristen, who's absolutely amazing that helps me to take care of our patients. We work together, but the scribe, Megan, has really sort of revolutionized how I manage my patients. So she comes in with the computer. I'm talking to the patient. I'm looking at the x-rays and the MRIs. I'm examining the patient. I can dictate in front of the patient. And then Meg's doing all the computer stuff. And then I can just move on to the next patient. And it's not, you know, it's really really sort of taken the, the load off. So something you should definitely consider. I think that, you know, there's been so much... Change in in the healthcare, found in the foundation of healthcare. Are you in private practice? Are you hospital employed? Are you getting purchased by private equity? I mean, it is unsettled times when it comes to to the business of healthcare, for sure. But thrilled to know that it, uh, that you want to keep on going and keep doing. And so uh, that's awesome. Really great news for you. So one of the stories that I want to hear from you because you know I think it's interesting. It's not uncommon, right? You start off, you're a sports trained doc, you're taking care of the athletes, you're a team physician, then, you know, your patients start getting a little bit older, you start getting a little bit older, and it's not an uncommon theme that sports medicine trained doctors will transition into joint replacement and really spend more time, you know, in
1: that regard compared to the standard uh, sports stuff. So how does that evolve for you? Well, I always did. Sports medicine, primary joint replacement, simple trauma, community orthopedics. I I had a pretty good experience at University of Pennsylvania with joint replacement. I enjoyed doing it. The real transition for me was twofold. Uh, The first was at AOS one year, I met an engineer who uh, told me about taking functional x-rays for people to plan their hips and check how the pelvis moves between standing and sitting. And this was 2015. And I'd never heard anything like it. I mean, this I spoke with this guy, Brad Miles is his name, for two hours. And it changed it changed my life because I went back, I started reading about this. It's basically postural science, the interplay between gravity and how our body works. Biomechanics that would never, ever taught to any of us. So I read this all and it just blew me away because I was a posterior approach guy putting my hips in by hand. And sometimes the x-rays looked a heck of a lot different than where I thought it was. And so I did this reading and it, uh, it it got me totally enthralled. And I decided, you know, I'm going to try to figure out how to use this functional analysis to plan component parts individually. And that, that's what I started. And, and uh, everything that I read, it led me to a dead end with only one guy that I saw really on the trail to work it out. And that was the great Larry Dor. And so I cold called him <laughs> and said, Hey, what are you doing? Uh, I really like this stuff. Uh, what are you writing? Let me see it. Let me <laughs> and believe it or not, Larry Dor, who could have very easily said, "Go away, kid. You bother me." He he engaged me, and we had discussions uh, uh, over the over the phone by uh, and by email. And before long, uh, he's sending me data, and uh, I was interacting with him. And together, we uh, published things for the next three years, um, and solved this issue on how to functionally place components, especially the acetabular component and total hips. So, all right. So I want to, I want to go over this. And again, I want my listeners to be
0: able to to understand, because as I always say, my mother's listening. So first of all, we got to tell her who Larry Doerr is and and Larry, you know, Larry Doerr was a titan of, of joint replacement. He was a legend. Unfortunately, he passed in December of this past year. But he you know really started in joint replacement in the earliest times in the sort of the mid eighties when it was really picking up. And he did Ranawat's Fellowship at HSS and then went out to California and started AUKUS, you know, the Association for Joint and Knee Replacement, and really sort of started this whole fellowship of arthroplasty and was, you know, really just was a, a tremendous teacher and an innovator. And so it was kind of cool that you know, you just pick up the phone and, and you call Larry in his twilight of his career and his his life and and uh, and then, but you guys didn't really, you weren't doing your research together, right? You were sort of like doing it. You were in Chicago. He's out in LA and emailing and stuff. Internet. Email. Yeah. 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 So, all right. So this is pretty cool, but I really want the listeners to really understand what you and Larry were doing. So, so Larry's developed this incredible database of collection of information about his patients over decades. You come up with this concept that you know, hip replacement is not just a static thing, but there's there's a dynamic posture issue between your back and your pelvis and positioning. So you're sort of a numbers guy, you're the technical guy, and you guys are working together to take your your information and Larry's data, and then what are you what are you trying to accomplish to make sure that your the cup portion of the hip is exactly where it
1: needs to be? Are you using robotics to get there? Walk us through this. The um, answer to where does the cup go has been the biggest mystery in hip replacement surgery for the last half century. Dr. Dorr started writing articles on uh, dislocations in the early 80s. And he worked for his whole life on solving that problem, as well as contributing to so many other things. And uh, we, we finally have a, a z- recommendations. But It's very foreign for hip surgeons to take lateral views of the pelvis and then take them in more than one position and then measure angles on them. They just, the tradition has been, hey, doc, where do you like to put your cup? Like the doctor's preference is really what matters, and it doesn't really matter. What matters is where the, how the patient's body works because the cup has to work within that body.
0: No, that's, it's really fascinating. I mean, and and that goes beyond just between, it's not just computer navigation now, it's not just robotics, but you're going to have to combine those things and have the human element to be able to do an analysis. Now, may, there may be some artificial intelligence that can be brought together based on those x-rays to help, uh, you know, clinicians find the appropriate position as to where it should be. Know orienting to put the cup in, but I think it's it sounds to me like a you know a real breakthrough in the in the concept of, of hip arthroplasty in particular.
1: This can be easily put into a planning sequence, and all yes. the doctor has to do is get an X ray, touch a few spots, the computer will measure the angle, and once it has the angle, it's going to spit out uh, a, a target. So that's the accuracy, the bullseye. Where does it go, and then the technology is being built to help with the precision to put it where you want it. And and that's the ballgame. Yeah, no. And that's, that's eloquently spoken. That last
0: couple sentences that you said, I'm listening. I can think of my mother listening and and Sheldon who are like, what, what, what does this mean for me? Well, what this means for me is that we have some really incredible technology that's made its way into the operating room that has been very slow to get there. If you think about the supercomputer in your hand that you're looking on right now for Zoom and the technology that's there and and how long it's taken for us to be able to use this type of information in the operating room, but it is that technology and with the hard work of yourself and Dr. Doerr and and putting in the time and, 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 and sort of pioneering this, it will help our patients to hopefully have better clinical outcomes and Improved ability to walk around after a hip replacement.
1: That's what, that's what I want to do. That's what excites me every day, is that I want to get to the point where I can influence the planning and help create the operation that can help hundreds of thousands of people versus the few that I do myself. I, I had to, to use my data, believe it or not. I had to devise my own operation. I put my cups in from the side with the patient on their side using x-ray on their side because I I can put a functional cup in there and then flip the C-arm around to the AP plane to check what everybody has always done forever. But my cup is functionally positioned. I hope to get that into a form where others can, can use that. And so that's one of my big motivations.
0: You know, Russell, I mean, I, I just want to say that I, you know, I really appreciate you. I mean, here you are, you know, you're at the twilight of your career. A lot of guys are thinking maybe I'm going to go play golf, but you're going to take this knowledge that you've developed over decades and start something completely new and different and really try and innovate in the space going upstream. And that is really not easy to do. And you know, I really just really want to say, you know, how much I appreciate the efforts that you've done in this space to make hip replacement better for our patients.
1: Well, I appreciate, I appreciate that. And and I wouldn't say that it's all upstream. This is a small community in the spinal pelvic world. And they all know who I, they all know who I am. And they're very cordial. It's just a little harder when you're an outsider to um, get traction. This is a, a journey that goes beyond hip replacement, understanding postural science and how biomechanics works for our patients has been uh, a journey of discovery for me well, uh, you know it's
0: interesting, you know russell you're a man after my own heart you're 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 thinking in a way in which other people aren't you're trying to change the world and and make it so that it's better for the people that are around you. Uh, At The Ortho Show, these are the stories that we love to tell, the unique, remarkable orthopedic surgeons on the planet that are making a difference every day. And we can't thank you enough for taking the time to be here today. Well, thank you so much, Scott. It's a pleasure. My pleasure. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of The Ortho Show. Till next time.